Welcome to another episode of Out the Rabbit Hole here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. We're also on the web at KUCI.org. I'm Robert Larson. This is our June 16th, 2011 edition of the show, 4.06 p.m. on the clock here in Irvine, California. Before we get fully underway, I have a couple of quick reminders for you. First of all, the opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the KUCI staff or management or the UC Board of Regents. And if you want to give me some feedback on the show, I always appreciate that. You can email me at rglarson at KUCI.org. You can also catch me on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash rglarson. All right, yes, that was the music of TSOL. And uh, we'll find out why we played that in just a moment here. Uh, The Southern California punk rock music scene of the late 70s, early 80s was a fascinating, exciting, exhilarating, sometimes frightening and disturbing, often creative and compelling historical chapter with some intriguing characters. One of the biggest bands from the scene was TSOL, and the lead singer Jack Grisham was a charming, charismatic fellow. At least that was what I saw when I met him. But there was a uh, sense of something more, something dark and sinister, and, well, the rumors. It turns out, as is sometimes the case, that there was something to those rumors. How do we know? Straight from Jack's mouth in the form of a recently released memoir, An American Demon, this can't put it down, what the hell gets under your skin book is horrifying and disturbing, but ultimately inspiring and redemptive in a really refreshing way. Jack Grisham is our special guest today. Jack, welcome to the show. Uh, oh, I'm really loud. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Hey, thanks for having me. It was, it's nice to have me. That was a nice intro, too. <laughs> <laughs> I, it was all, I, I was thinking about us all last night and, you know, what, you know, what to say about the book, because it, it just it, it threw me for a loop in, in a lot of ways, which it it's doing to people. Yeah, well, I think that was the whole point of it. I just when I when I went to start to when I went to start doing research and start writing and looking at other books, I went into stores and I wrote, "Well, look what this guy wrote. Look what this guy wrote." And a lot of these were this, "Hey, I was a mess, and now I found Jesus, and everything's great." And hey, wonderful. I'm like, just I hate it. I couldn't stand it. And uh, you know, and then I'm just thinking how half these guys just need a spanking, and they're just little, you know, whatever. And then, uh, and then I came up with this thing, and I just wanted to do it completely different than what anyone had done before. So, well, yeah, I'm I'm reading this book and hearing these accounts of these, you know, appalling activities, and I, I'm wanting to like this character be, because he's charming, but I'm thinking. What, what, what a monster, what a demon. And and that's just how you put it. I, I was a demon. How did you come uh, to that to, to uh, as a way of presenting your character, you? Well, a lot of it, I'll tell you, I was involved in a church right before I got involved in punk rock. I was involved in this really small church, five or six people. And now the church is blown up and it's this huge, all over TV, thousands of members, you know. And early on, after I left the church, uh, the pastor did a sermon, and he said that one of the early members had been seduced by Satan and punk rock, basically painted me as a demon. <laughs> so, so that's where I even got the idea to write the book from the perspective of being a demon. But the the real issue, I, I use the demon thing because it's you know evil. The the character's evil, but but it's also a character without feeling or without emotion, and. 
so when I when I tied it in, basically it was because I was so selfish and so self-centered, so wrapped up in self that it became almost sociopathic. Because it was all about me, me, me. Screw everybody else. I'm going to do whatever I want. I don't care because it's just how how do I please me? So the character became really sociopathic, and uh, so so that's why it's got that kind of evil twist to it. But but even the part of being a, an American demon, like somebody asked me, they said, "Well, what makes this American?" It's like, hey, this is how our country has treated others. We'll do whatever we want to do without thinking of how it's going to affect us later on, how it's going to affect someone else, and then it comes back to haunt us. It's like when Kennedy was shot and you know, and Malcolm X said, hey, the chickens have come home to roost, man. This is what you guys get. This is what you do. This is what you get. And uh, so in that book, it, the character is completely selfish, completely self-centered. It's all about him and harming people, destroying people, not caring unless it affects him, and ultimately it, it destroys the character. Yeah, it's interesting that you put that way, you know, American Demon, and uh, I hadn't even thought about it that much. I was just so involved in, in what you personally w- were, this character in the book. and, and uh, But, yeah, we talk about those kinds of things a lot on the show, the Kennedy assassination. You said Malcolm right. X, the chickens coming home to roost, and just American foreign policy in general. It is like that demonic, sort of sociopathic, sort of like this uh, military industrial intelligence establishment who just we have an agenda we do what we want to do and the hell with how that affects anybody else that's right and it all comes back to haunt us that's the deal we step on the toes of our fellows it comes back to haunt us and then we're shocked it's like you know it's so crazy the way a lot of us think in this country is we go do these heinous crimes these damages and then we want we want mercy for for what we have basically done uh, there's a little joke about a guy that you know kills both his parents and then when he goes to court he looks at the judge and says have mercy on me i'm an orphan you right. know and uh, yeah. and this is you know and this is the thing we with this the way we are in this country politically the way we treat people and then it comes back on us and we act like we're the victims you know when in reality we're the ones that caused it and you know i have to say it, your book is 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 yeah it's just one of those things you <laughs> you just don't want to put it down you're just pulled through it in in all kinds of weird emotional ways and i th- i think what others have noticed and i did as well reading this and what what makes it unnerving is that instead of writing this as somebody who's cleaned up and explaining how you used to do all these terrible things you're you're describing it from the perspective of that old you that that person who enjoyed abusing and tormenting people who had no feelings for others at all but you know you're not that person that demon anymore so how difficult was it to be that guy again at least in your head for the purposes of the book yeah they they actually did it my family a couple of members of my family my daughter and a couple of friends actually did an intervention on me during the writing of the book because I had gotten so sick with it and so absorbed with the character, having to relive that, like having to relive, well, what's it like to, you know, to wear a pair of spurs and kick someone in the face? And what does it feel like when the flesh gets torn? And, you know, what is the alcohol? You know, I haven't had a drink in over 22 years. What's, what's the whiskey taste like going down? What's it, how does it feel? What's the smell that comes up? And, to, and then to relive that and to go through, I had gotten obsessed. I was writing 18, 20 hours a day, uh, not eating well, you know, eating rotten food, not taking care of myself. And so some friends and my daughter got together and they basically did an intervention. They said, hey, your methods have become completely unsound. You're, you're gone. You know, my daughter, I have a 22-year-old daughter. She basically had me living on her couch. What's the deal? She goes, Dad, you need to come stay with me because you can't take care of yourself. So, so it's really to really get into the character 
you know, it, it's you have to become what you were mm-hmm. to really sit there. And, and I'll tell you, it damaged me. I mean, it really damaged me. Uh, there's a couple of things, like the Catholic Church has censored uh, documents that people have written saying, hey, this can be damaging to your soul if you want to read this. There's, you know, like the church will step out and say, please don't read this, please don't do it. And, and you know, yeah, we say, okay, the church is trying to protect this or do whatever. But when you get into a character like this or get into this thing, it really does twist your mind. I mean, it really can make you sick mm. by reliving this. Uh, basically, I mean, if you look at it, I'm like freshly, the book got done a year ago, so I'm a year away from these actions again, even though it's really mm. been 22 years since I've been away from it. It's really like fresh. Like, yeah, so the thing is that when you were doing those things in real time, you were uh, fueled by alcohol and drugs. It, not always. Not always. I wish that was the case. Okay. I, I mean, I wish I could just sit here and say, hey, it's because of this. But it's not. It, yeah. Before I even, even in the book alludes to it, before I even got, and I'm not, gonna, I'm not blaming my parents either. It's just, hey, this is the way I came out. This mm. is the mix you got. Yeah. You know, you take a kid like this, put it with this, put it with this, and this is the mix. This is the product of mm. that. You know, I'm not blaming anybody, but I was acting like that before a drop of booze ever touched my lips mm-hmm. you know and i i'd love to say that oh every time i did this i was drunk. no these are sober thoughts mm-hmm. you know but then also a lot of it in the book there wasn't thought when it was happening i didn't even think about yeah it it was just i'm just acting and right. not even i'm just doing an act and i'm not like sitting there going this is wrong i'm doing this to really hurt this guy it's like it was a lot of it was just as cold as the book i'm mm-hmm. just doing it and yeah. i'm not thinking about you at all and but You've obviously gone through some transformation, and so you're a different person now. So uh, I guess maybe that's what I'm getting at is to be living it now from the person you are now when you relive it. Rough. Yeah, Yeah, a lot of it's real rough because a lot of it I'm far away from this. You know, it's like I'm, I'm... but it's still there also. I try to explain it to people sometimes. They go, hey, how can you go through all this? I go, look, it's like when you total your car. You know, you take it to the mechanic, and they can straighten it out, paint it, clean it up, but the thing still goes down the street cockeyed. <laughs> it's been to- It's like I still go down the street cockeyed, mm-hmm. you know, a little bit. I'm mm-hmm. cleaned up and all that, great. But, but still, for underneath, I have the tendency to just slip into this, here's what I want. I'm not thinking about what you want. Mm-hmm. But the difference is you're working on this now. You've you've done things, and we can go into all of that of how you've uh, um, done this NLP and self hypnosis right. and learned all these techniques. And you're, I think, even meditating now. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but a lot of it's just awareness. Yeah. I think. See, the the thing is, is that a lot of people don't realize is change comes real easy once you wake up to what's happening. Mm. The trouble is a lot of these people are doing negative actions and they're asleep. They can't see the negative actions. But the minute they wake up and say, oh, my God, is this what I'm doing? Mm. Then change becomes almost instantaneous. Very simple. Once you wake up. Wow. This is Out the Rabbit Hole, KUCI in Irvine. Robert Larson here speaking with Jack Grisham. And many of you, I am sure, know him as the singer of TSOL and a few other bands. But he has a new book out that is just Utterly fascinating, well worth reading. It's called An American Demon, a memoir by Jack Grisham. And that's what we're talking about here today. So uh, the, the story of how you came to write this book is an interesting one in itself. Can we go into that a little? Yeah, where where you were at and, and you were... Uh, uh, okay, before we do that, where the book ends, where the book ends, that's some years ago. 
Right. It ends. The book ends when I was 27 years old. Okay. So we were. It's a beginning. The book actually ends on a beginning. Yeah. Is what it is. It, it's it's the you know, and I know when the, without getting too much into it, but the character goes through this metamorphosis. It's a change. It becomes. It goes from being sociopathic, completely wrapped up, to all of a sudden having guilt, conscience, mm-hmm. and then wakes up. And it starts at a beginning, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I was like, when the, the book ended, I'm, I'm, yeah, okay, there's that. And then I know what I've been reading in articles and things of where Jack Grisham is at now. And But this were some several years between. A lot of, yeah. <laughs> a so lot of work, man. In those yeah. times, you yeah. were uh, kind of just struggling to get by, and then there was a part you were... You were living in your car, right. and somebody had told you that you needed to write a book, and yeah. w- w- how did yeah. all that... Well, struggling to be a human being for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I, I used to tell people, hey, I'm a great animal. You can't teach me how to be an animal. I'm a wonderful animal. Mm-hmm. I need to learn how to be a human being is what I need to learn how to be. And, uh, but during when this book was written, my, my ex-wife and I, we had owned a, we'd owned a business, you know, and we lost our... Bi- you know, when everything, when all the economy just crashed around here, we lost our business, lost everything we owned. Shortly after that, I was divorced. Divorced, uh, so then I couldn't pay after a bankruptcy. I couldn't pay my bills and her bill and and contribute to them at the same time. So I chose them. I was given my ex and my daughter money, and I was sleeping in a car and on people's couches, whatever. Uh, I was actually living behind like a lot of Starbucks in my car, you know, and I had my laptop, you know, and so uh, so I'm sleeping behind the Starbucks. I got my laptop. And I just screwing around. I wrote, I want a job. I want a good job. It's like this stupid Sid and Nancy movie. I was just fooling around. Yeah, on and, Facebook, yeah. Yeah, on Facebook. And, and my friend Elizabeth wrote me back and said, I got an idea. Call me. And, and she was the one that basically said, look, you're the problem here. Mm-hmm. Let's do some work. And uh, I started learning hypnosis, learning NLP. Uh, just, just basically more uh, to get in focus, more focused. And then started writing and... Uh, you know, my first uh, girl I had married a long time ago died of a drug overdose. You know, it's just a nightmare, blow after blow after blow. Mm. Very interesting. Yeah, yeah. And then so I, I imagine that was all uh, quite a process of, of learning the neurolinguistic programming and the self-hypnosis. And, and, uh, and you've also done a uh, – you speaking. You, you get out there and do uh, kind of inspirational speaking yeah. for people trying to stay clean and all yeah, that? Yeah, basically. Just – Basically, wake up speeches. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all you got to do it's it's waking people up. It's the same thing. You're yeah. all you're trying to do is you're when you go out and give a talk, you're basically just giving the information out, telling it as clearly as possible, and hopefully someone shifts. Someone's thinking shifts while they're listening to you speak. Mm-hmm. That's and and whether it happens, whether it doesn't happen, you have no control over that. Um, mm-hmm. Real quick, I'll tell you, it's like. Like, let's say a guy goes out, and he's drinking, and he gets arrested, and he wakes up in jail, and he, he gets a look at his life. He says, God, I, I just woke up in jail. I got a wife. I got kids. I got, I got a job I don't want to lose. He sees his own behavior. He looks at himself, mm. finds himself disgusting, sickening, and says, you know what? I'm done. And he just heads off on a different path. He wakes up, takes a different path. Another guy, same wife, same kids, same job, everything, goes out, gets drunk, gets arrested, wakes up in jail, and says, these cops are assholes. <laughs> <laughs> so he doesn't wake up. So, so when I go out and give talks, I basically just lay out the information, and then maybe when someone's listening, they say, oh, my God, I think like that guy, too. I did that also. I did this, too. And they wake up a little bit, and then once somebody wakes up, it's over. They're going to do, you know, they're on a completely different path, and there's really nothing you need to do to... 
yeah, after that. It, things just happen as long as you're willing to stay on that focus of I, I want to be aware. I want to be uh, right. responsible for who I am and for the people around me. And and so that that must have you. Know, as you're learning these techniques to open yourself up and to become more human, as you put it, it it's uh, it's got to be a weird feeling sometimes. It's like, oh wow, other people feel this kind of thing, or this. Wow, yeah. I didn't even know that was out there. That concept of feeling like that. Yeah, shocking. Yeah, shocking. Yeah, I mean, you know, and my kids were also a big part of it too because I had such trouble. You know, the way I grew up, you know, having attachment disorder, whatever it is, where it's like I can't. I don't, you don't have feelings, I don't feel loved, I don't, I don't understand what's happening. And so a lot of it, through my children, I learned a lot of love through, the, to, through them. That's where I learned how to like, be unconditional in my love was towards my two daughters. So. And, I, and in the book, there is the birth of the one daughter, right. and this is like a, a pretty major sort of turning point of, of awakening. Right. It was sort of toward the beginning of your awakening. Yeah, and in the book, in the book God the character of God in the book actually uses my daughter against me <laughs> to wake me up. You know, it's all about, hey, you know, I, I end up with this daughter and he realizes that there's going to be a connection there yeah. that's forcing me to look at my behavior. You know, so it's it's actually a joke. It was a, it, well, get on if they end up reading the book, it's, you learn later on that there was a thing with this, this God character and then there's also this Satan character who's called the, the not quite God because he's not quite as good as God. God wanted an adversary, but he didn't want to lose. <laughs> right. So he made one a little bit less than him. So, and in the book, that's who I work for, the not quite God. But, uh, yeah. It, so it's a battle. It, and what it really is, it's conscience. It's, it's the God character in the book is, is our desire as humans to serve others, to be connected, to look out for other people. And the not quite character in the book is the desire to just serve self. Yeah, the, the com- completely out of control toxic ego. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. All right, again, this is Out the Rabbit Hole, KUCI in Irvine. Robert Larson here speaking with Jack Grisham. And we're talking about his book, An American Demon. And uh, yeah, so are, are there people, Jack, who have uh, difficulty accepting how a guy goes from such felonious, disturbed, sociopathic behavior to you know, inspirational speaker bent on helping others? Yeah. <laughs> I got problems with it. I always look at those guys because a lot of these guys that go out and give these talks, they talk almost from up on high, some spiritual mountaintop, some, you know, oh, and I'm this now and I'm this. Look, I never claim to be anything other than just like you. Mm-hmm. I just don't, I don't claim to be any of that. I, I just, all I am is a transmitter. Mm-hmm. I say, hey, here's what happened to me. I'm just going to lay it out. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the thing is, when this when the book was written, the time of this book was written. Let's say you roll up on me. Ninety nine times out of a hundred, when you roll up on me, I'm probably not doing something very good. Mm-hmm. There's something probably not so good going on, mm-hmm. right? And nowadays, one time out of a hundred, you roll up on me, and you're going to catch me not doing something very good. Mm-hmm. You know, so so yeah, there's there's. I'm just not one of those guys that goes out and give talks saying that everything's great and this is all fine. You know, I go out and say, hey, I struggle with paying the bills. Yeah. I, I struggle with showing up. I struggle with caring for people. I want to run away at times. I don't want to be here. I don't want to feel these feelings. Mm-hmm. You know, I go into prisons and sometimes, you know, I tell those guys, don't be in a hurry to get out, man. <laughs> Stay in here. It's like they want you to work when you get out. They want you to pay bills. They want you to, to show up. 
you know. Uh, there's a great scene. Runaway Train uh, is one of my favorite movies. John Voight, Eric Roberts. I just love it. And mm-hmm. there's a great scene in there with this older convict. John Voight is, is talking to Eric Roberts' character, a young convict. And he says to him, he says, what are you going to do when you get out of here? And Eric Roberts says, oh, I'm going to get some ladies. And they've broken out of prison. They're getting away, right? So Eric Roberts says, I'm going to get some ladies. I'm going to go to Vegas. I'm at a party. Mm-hmm. And John Voight says, no, man. He goes, you're going to get a job. You're going to get a crap job that a convict can get, maybe scrubbing floors or something. At the end of the week, the boss is going to come in and say, you missed a spot. And he said, and you're going to put your head down and you're going to scrub that little spot and you're not going to look up at him. And Eric Roberts says, F you, I can't do that, man. And, and that's when John Voight says, that's your trouble, youngster. If you could do that, you could rule the world. Yeah. And that was my trouble. I, I, I had a hard time shutting up at work, keep my mouth shut, following orders, following the rules. You know, I'm always, hey, the rules don't apply to me. This is different, you know. So so when I give talks, I say that. I say, look, I still struggle with following the rules. I still struggle with keeping my mouth shut, you know. And a lot, and the trouble is a lot of people struggle with keeping their mouth shut and following the rules. And sometimes they just want to hear someone else say, me too. Yeah. Me too. That's, yeah. Uh, Another person I had on the show was, uh, I'm sure you're aware of, uh, Wayne Kramer from sure. the MC5. That's and, great. A friend of mine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah okay. Yeah. You know, he did some time. <laughs> yeah. Hey. And that was one of the things he talked about, is, is being in prison. And, and some guy in prison, some guy had been in for years, you know, and said, you know, Brother Wayne, you know what your problem is, is that you're always trying to get over on people. Yeah. yeah. You know, just just quit trying to get over on people. Just 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 be real, you know, and just it's a, just play it straight once in a while. Yeah, and, well, yeah. No, I was going to say one of my favorite quotes from Wayne is, uh, I've been selling out for years, but nobody was buying. <laughs> but then, see, and I got lucky. That was the other thing in the book. It's just never any real jail time. You know, and people can't believe it. Like the longest I ever did was a week. Yeah, that, that, now, that is mind-blowing because you do describe several felonies that in there in the book unbelievable yeah you know driving with a guy in the trunk of the car like or just whatever you know i I can't my daughter and i ran it down she said dad you know you're taking people against their will you're kidnapping people you know you're doing this but i don't see it like that Mm -hmm. you know and and so the thing that was just fascinating to me is that you know, how how does a guy do all that stuff, even a guy that's really smart, do all of that stuff and never get fully busted for it? And, and in the book, you put it as, I mean, you think, well, the guy's just got a charmed life or something in, in a certain sense. But you put you know, the not quite God that, right. that he's kind of looking out for you and getting you out of trouble. And this is kind of like a device you use. But, I mean, what there were, were there people that really appeared now and then that were just like, it got was a, you out of situations? Well, this is, yeah, unbelievably, that, that's what happened. It was so crazy. Like, my friends joke about it. My friends that have gone down to prison for years, they'll say, man, it, it's like we sit around sometimes and just say, how? And they know me. I mean, they know that the story's true. And they saw it go down, and they think to yourself, how do you get out of that? You know, and there were so many times where it was just luck. Like a gun got thrown away or, a, you know what I mean, or whatever the hell was happening or somebody drops charges or, or you walk out or I just had a thing the other day. I, I show up in court and I'm, I'll knock on wood on this, but uh, I just showed up in court the other day for, and it was nothing. It was a traffic, simple traffic charge. I was wearing a headset when I was driving and I, I got into it with a cop because I didn't yield properly or what, you know, yeah, whatever. Yeah. And the judge looked at it and a headset charge is a, you know, it's a nice little fine, right? Mm-hmm. And the, the judge looks at the judge and goes, headsets? What's he talking? Headphones, headsets. This guy didn't even know he's talking. Just missed. And he just throws it away. So, you know, it still goes on. Uh, just where it's, it's, I don't know how to explain it. 
I don't know when it's luck, whatever happens, but uh, but yeah, so I tie that in in the book with that. Um, and then I'll say something else. Sometimes I hear these guys and they want to blame God for all sorts of crap. You know, they want to take this entity of whatever of God and they want to say, oh, God took my house, God destroyed this, God did this, oh, I guess God wants me to have this job. It's like, come on, really, man? And I, I heard somebody say one time, they go, well, if it's easy, God's involved. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Do you know how many robberies, you know how much crimes I got away with? What, so you're saying God wanted me to rob those places? God, God was in on it? You know, yeah. just crazy talk, yeah. you know? So it's just... Uh, uh, yeah, I liked that that part of the book. It's just like, you know, come on, let's let's be real here. Right. People just, it's, it's this delusional thing, and it is just, that's not how life works. Right. You and know? we co- recreate... The majority of our problem, and even if you want to look, you know, in, in uh, Christians, if you want to look at the Bible, they, you know, uh, Paul even says in the Bible, he says, look, God's not doing this to you. You're doing it. This is what happens. These mm-hmm. are the things that happen to people, you know, so whatever. KUCI and Irvine, Robert Larson here, the Out the Rabbit Hole radio program, speaking with Jack Grisham. And, uh, yes, many of you know him as the lead singer of TSOL and... Uh, Cathedral of Tears, uh, Joy Keller, uh, yeah, Tender Fear, yeah, yeah, all these bands. <laughs> and uh, now with a w- memoir out called An American Demon. So, uh, Jack, how are old friends, acquaintances, associates, and victims responding to your book? Well, that, you know, that's interesting that you bring up the deal about the victim. I, I don't, I didn't want to hurt anybody anymore. Mm-hmm. I changed all the names of people. A lot of the guys that I write by name, they're dead. Our old drummer of TSOL, Todd, dead. Pat Brown, that's written about in the book, he's dead. Um, actually, Casey, the girl that's mentioned in the book, just died. Mm-hmm. She just died while the book was getting written. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so a lot of people are dead and gone. Um, some of my friends are proud of being part of it. They wanted their names used. Use my name. Use my name. You know, like they wanted their name. For the most of it, I changed the names, and I didn't want people being hurt mm-hmm. by it again. You know, it's like so. So, and that was a real dilemma. Like once I got the book finished, I thought, Do I even want to release this? Do I want to stir this these problems back up in somebody else's life? Mm-hmm. And a lot of the people in the book that I thought might be hurt, I actually went to them and said, hey, here's what I'm doing. Are you okay with this? Mm-hmm. And, and the majority of the people that I deal with, they know how, how, what I do now mm-hmm. to pay back for what I did then. And so they're okay with it because it gives me a chance to talk about paying back and waking up and how we treat people and selfishness. So it's actually used as a tool to make amends for what I did. Uh, speaking about the book makes amends for what I did in the book. So... so- what is that like when somebody who you did harm and you you do go and uh, talk with them and and they and there is maybe a sense of forgiveness and how how does all that feel? It takes a lot of wisdom on how you're going to handle doing something. Um, with a lot of people, they don't want you to be specific about what you did to them mm-hmm. uh, because that basically brings up. Uh, what 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 I did basically is I took not to get you know I don't want to get all American Indian out on you but basically mm-hmm. I took these people's power mm-hmm. is what what happened a lot of power was taken mm-hmm. uh, when you humiliate a man you take his power from him so how do you give that power back you know or let him take his power back from you uh, in a kind way in a gentle way a lot of times it was basically me coming up to people and saying I wish I was a better friend to you. Mm-hmm. I wish I was capable of being a better friend. I wish I understood how much you loved me, how much you cared for me. Um, you know, a lot of it is is basically changing the behavior right away. 
mm. acting out different behavior. Some some people they don't want it brought up. They don't want to think about it. They don't want to see your face. Hey, I you know I have family rel- family members that are that speak highly of me behind my back, but don't want anything to do with me. They don't want anything to do with me, even after years of doing this. It's yeah. like, now, if you came to them and said, I need help, they'd say, talk to my uncle, talk to my brother, here, mm. take Jack's number, call Jack. But they don't want anything to do with me. Yeah. So a lot of damage. A lot of damage gets done that doesn't get washed away. And uh, you talk about this whole this process of humiliating people, and there's a lot of that going on in the book. And But a- as the book goes along, there comes a point where uh, things... Uh, start falling apart for you and uh whereas everybody is worshipful or fearful of you it, it's starting to slip away right the teflon's coming up all yeah. of it starts coming off the more human i get the weaker i get and then you and you start uh having situations where you're being humiliated and um i just that's got to be a really uh harsh situation to be in well, and it's also a lot, there's something about, in, in, in being completely selfish and self-centered, there's something strength, in, there's strength in that. Mm-hmm. Because you're so wrapped up in self that you're not caring about what others mm-hmm. think, you're, there's some strength in that. Mm-hmm. But then the minute you start seeing yourself through other people's eyes, all of a sudden you see the chinks in your own armor. All of a sudden you can see yourself as a man and what you do and the weaknesses and whatever and you can get involved sucked up in those weaknesses and so in the book that happens i start seeing myself mm-hmm. and what i've done as others start to see me you know uh so it's so the confidence gets lost that that you know it just basically falls apart i mean the character falls apart mm-hmm. and then it, the, the way it is in the book is it's like uh the uh um I don't know. I guess we don't want to really give it all away. No, no. We, yeah, yeah. We, 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 it's uh, it's such a great story. I, I love you know, telling you know retelling the story to people, but then it's like, nah, you got to read the book. You know, it's it's so well uh, put. But yeah, as those of you listening to the show now, this is it's a real roller coaster ride, and it's a um, downhill. It, yeah, <laughs> it's a roller coaster ride downhill. Yeah, a that's what somebody said. Somebody said, just when you think you've reached the bottom. It just takes a straight dive. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. but it's just, it's such a, a fascinating tale to read about this character that just is like doing these things that you just really don't know too many people that, that do those kinds of things. And, and you're just kind of horrified. And then, you know, I'm sitting here with you right now in the studio and you don't seem like that guy. You no. seem like, like a, a more uh, regular kind of guy that just is, like you said, struggling has problems sometimes does act out in ways that aren't great at times like we all do right but now you're at least aware yeah and i'll tell you you know i just had a cool thing i just bring it's a little off the topic uh, a little bit right now but uh, i just got a great letter from a soldier that got back from iraq he was Mm -hmm. in iraq and he wrote me and he said hey you know this is the first time i've cried in two years he goes i started to read it and, you know, and he'd been over there and he'd been in service or whatever. And he said, I started to read it. And he goes, and I was laughing. And he goes, and sometimes I felt bad about laughing. You know, like when something bad happens and you're laughing at it. Like, you know, it's like when you pull a chair out from under somebody. We sit down, everybody laughs, but the guy gets hurt. So, so he said, you know, I was laughing at some of the stuff and getting into it. And he goes, and I got about page 300 around, around there. And he goes, and all of a sudden I started crying. 
And he goes, and I just started crying and crying and crying. And I just started thinking about everything I'd gone through and everything that had happened. And he goes, and I broke. And he goes, and it was the first time in two years that I was able to really cry about what I'd been involved with, you know, what had happened, loss of friends, the way his friends looked at him now, what he had gone through, the people that he'd hurt when he was over there. And that he really, it was like a a healing thing. I mean, he wrote me an unbelievable letter about it, you know, and it was very unexpected. You know that that yeah. that he would have that reaction. Yeah, I mean, and I, I guess that that's got to feel good because yeah. you know these guys coming back from over there, they've they've gone gone through some right. stuff, and it's uh, yeah, and it, they don't often get the help they need, and no. so if something like that is going to make them wake up, open up, feel all those feelings, feel a lot a lot of pain, that but then you can move on if you're not feeling the pain, right? Right. Well, that, yeah, exactly. And that's yeah. what this guy said. He goes, look, man, he goes, I, he goes, I don't even know if you're going to, in the letter, he said, I don't even know if you're going to read this. I've never written a letter like this, but I just need to tell you what happened. Mm-hmm. So it was really, I mean, it, it basically made, I mean, I'm six, the book is a success now. <laughs> and one letter like that, it's like, okay, then that's enough. Mm-hmm. You know, that it relieves some pain from this guy. Mm-hmm. And it's not that, and I'm not saying the book's this great positive. Th- I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that for him, it was able to unlock whatever channels to just let the hurt start coming out of him. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the book can be seen as a very positive thing when, when you see that this character and, and now the guy you are now. And it's just like, to, to be able to set that aside, I'm just like, it, it, for a lot of us, it's like, how, you know, it doesn't even seem possible. But even and even on like a smaller, I mean that's a that's a, this is a, like an you know an unbelievable example of that selfishness and self-centeredness. But even on a smaller level, a lot of us spend our lives like this. Mm-hmm. We don't really think about how what we're doing is affecting somebody and what's happening. We don't really take everyone else in. We don't think globally. Mm-hmm. We don't. Sometimes we think on a family scale, but we're not really thinking. Hey, how does this affect? this here what does this affect this how does this affect the people in my neighborhood the people around me that we're not really thinking about everybody right i mean you know we're we're buying these products that are made by somebody who's getting paid two dollars a day and we're (laughs) like you know is that right you know (laughs) what's happening what's going on yeah (laughs) you know so and a lot of us don't want to be awake Right. Waking up's not good sometimes. You like the, the movie The Matrix, yeah. you know? <laughs> <laughs> the but, one guy just yeah. wanted to go back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and, uh, go ahead. No, and I'm just saying, and, and our, you know, a lot, I don't want to head into the government trip, but a lot of them don't want us awake. They don't want to tell us the truth. They don't want to wake it up. They don't want to do that. They don't, you know, it's not good. It, it's not good. They don't want prisons. That's a means of control to not have people awake and aware of what's happening. You know. uh, yeah, I know. It's it's yeah. a, it's a struggle that we're all uh, having to to fight, and I think it's good that we are. So, uh, I wanted to talk to you about this. Uh, when I look back on it, I think that the uh, the punk rock scene, though vital and creatively important, also functioned as this kind of enabler for sociopathic behavior. In in the same way that when a government is overthrown. Uh, there's this, you know, exciting and chaotic time before something new is put in place that, that often fosters some nasty behavior. <laughs> well, isn't that why after a, after, a, after a revolution they have a purge? Yeah, get, yeah. you got to get rid of all the guys that, threw, that got this revolution rolling. 
Right, and so then the, yeah. it, it draws forth these guys that have those dark urges, and I and I see I, I, the whole punk rock scene in general that way. It was this great thing. It was this revolution, right? And music, and we're we're I think we're in a better place because of it. But there was that that period when it's all chaotic, and the demons are summoned forth. Is that is, and that's exactly what and you know in the book I say that this is a time of great change. At the time when you see these people coming around, that a lot of this stuff, mm-hmm. this that that thought, that craziness, that I mean, you know, I, I've said a million times. I told people this is what early punk rock attracted. It attracted people that are bent, that are tilted. They're off. You know, they're going to roll this way. They're not. I, I mean, the rest of society. It took so long. For them even to accept different colored hair or a tattoo or a look, I mean, that change took forever. I mean, the, these were, the original people in punk rock, they were ready to accept it all. Yeah. It wasn't about, you know, hey, a sexual question. They're very open about sexuality of people, very open about, uh, you know, about race, about everything. You know, mm-hmm. it was real kind of... Yeah, I know. It was my first introduction to all kinds of things that were considered not acceptable. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, yeah, and it was just like people were really open. Uh, yeah, yeah. it's funny. I mean, you talk about one of the characters in the book, and it's just like, you know, he's masturbating all the time. And, right. and I just remember that in the punk rock scene. People would, that was a subject you could just talk about. Everybody was okay with, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, but yeah. Bisexuality, homosexuality, all of it. You knew yeah. all those people there that were doing all those kinds of things, and uh, it was, uh, yeah. And but there was this situation, and, and you mentioned this in the book that it, it, real early on in the punk scene, you were a, an outcast, a misfit, and a lot of them were kind of like nerdy kids, and uh, there were the straight people, you know, whoever the, the non-punk rockers liked going around picking on them, beating them up, right? And then it was like you're seeing. With the, the vicious circle be, before uh, TSOL, you became these guys that were like, um, "No, we're not going to take that. We're going to fight back," and it became like this thing. And, it, and, and a lot of people looked up to you guys as, in, in the punk rock scene as sort of like defenders. And then, it, in, in in a certain sense, it was this kind of seemed like a noble thing. But then it was like you guys really got into the fighting and really enjoyed the fighting. Yeah, I mean, there's certain once. Once those walls are down, once you once you let yourself go wild, yeah. it's hard to come back and go straight yeah. again. I mean, so many of us walk around with, with, we need to look like this, and we need to watch our mouths, and we need to not act like this, and this is in society that we behave this way and we do this. So little by little, when punk rock came, all that was removed. And it's like, hey, we, you can act however you want. You can be an animal. You can, you, you know, throw your feces at someone if you want to, and we'll ap- applaud it. Well, what, you know, whatever it was. Yeah. So, so then all those walls came down, and a lot of those people in that early scene, they were completely untethered to any of society's rules. It was basically we act however we want to act, and it was really hard to bottle that back up again and go straight. Uh, you know, the thing with Vicious Circle, it wasn't, we weren't into, like, punk-on-punk violence. It was about... It was af- it was these guys that came at the punks. Right, right. And that's what it was put to. You know, later on there were people that, that were always wanting to start fighting shows. We never wanted to start a fight in shows. In show no, it's like it's like, hey, this is our scene. This is it. This is brotherhood. This is together, right. man. You know, we're we protect us from outside. That's what we're gonna do. We're gonna protect us from the police, from these guys coming in, these guys that are coming in to hurt us. Mm-hmm. But inside here, 
we all get along. This is tight. This is family. Yeah. You and know? there might might be a, a fight break, a break out on the floor, people bumping into each other, but then it was like they were usually okay afterwards. Right. Break it up. Done. Just, just throw you know. a few punches, right. but we're all, we're punk rockers. We're right. on the same team. Yeah. but that And that was it. But a mm. lot of the guys that like the early Vicious Circle stuff, there were people from outside. I mean, people coming in to beat up on punks. Yeah. Or, you know, a lot of guys, you know, you say, hey, let's go kick some... You know, kick some butt. Let's go to the punk show and beat up people. You know, it's like that kind of crap. Yeah, you know? yeah. And, uh, that was real stuff. And, and like yeah. I said, people were like, they, at, at first it was like when there were the people that were like the defenders of the scene, it was like something that was looked up to. And you, know, you guys are the vicious circle and all of that. But then the trouble is with that, though, is they get these guys that are defenders of the scene that become rulers of the scene. Right. And there's a big uh, difference. Uh, corruption. You know? Yeah, well, <laughs> power yeah, corrupts, like you know. Yeah. yeah, so, so, uh, yeah, yeah, and it all comes to yeah, whatever, you know. Sh- anyway, yeah, yeah. So, okay, again, out the rabbit hole here. KUCI in Irvine. Robert Larson speaking with Jack Grisham, and we're talking about his fascinating new book, *An American Demon*. And uh, there, there, uh, your writing is really interesting. And I this is this is your first book, your right. first. Uh, attempt at serious writing yeah. other than writing song lyrics and uh, you're mostly self-taught in, in the writing <laughs> yeah. Yeah. well yeah, a couple friends tried to help me yeah, yeah. no but, uh, it, but it's it's so it's it's really it's real it's 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 got a certain uh, uh, power to it that you know a lot of people just never get who write for years and it's um, I like the way you use words in there and I, I like the scene toward the end where you're, you decide to be a good Samaritan and, and help this guy who's uh, stranded on the freeway, he's got a flat right. tire, and I, it's, it was weird to me. It was like it was pure dream language because this guy, is, is, he's talking about his car and the blown-out tire. You come over to help him out, and he says, it's a rental, and there's no jack. Right. You know, fix the tire. And I'm thinking, right. wow, that's an interesting choice of words there. It, 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 you know, it's like, because at this point in the story, there is no more Jack. Right. At least the one we've known at right. this point. And it's sort of like, he's he's been this bad tenant, this sort of like, you know, rental. And it was, that, so was the... That whole scene, the way you wrote that, was that it almost seemed like it was a, like it was a dream. And, and was it a dream, or do you want to not say, leave it ambiguous, or <laughs> something? leave it really? ambiguous. Okay. Yeah. But it's, it's where the, you know, I, and once again, not getting too far into it, but it's where the character really starts to change. When, mm. the, when, it, when it, I, see, I don't want to get too much where, uh, yeah, no, you're just going to have to. We yeah. don't want to give it all away. No, I don't. But I just want to say it was an interesting bit of writing. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah. And it was just like... See, because I have those kinds of things happen to me, but it's usually in a dream. Right. Where it's just like uh, somebody says something in a dream, and it seems totally mundane. But there's one word in the sentence that they use that right. has this, that can have a double meaning. Right, right. You know, and he's talking about the Jack for the car, and I'm thinking, no, he, he's really talking about Jack Grisham. Right, right. And, and so I just I really like that. Yeah, no, and thank you very much. And there's a lot. See, and that was the trouble, too. There was a lot of, there's a lot of that. All through the book, there's that. Mm-hmm. Like, if you really start breaking it, if, if you really start breaking it down, what went into that, you know, the, the deal about selfishness and, and about God and connection of God and how the alcohol actually uh, 
makes me turn human. The spirits. It's 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 basically what alcohol is. It's spirits. It's synthetic God. It's yeah, it's, yeah. it's where you actually take a drink and you feel connected to someone else. You feel close to them. So so the alcoholism in the book, instead of taking me down, it basically makes me human. It's the first part of ever feeling connected, ever mm-hmm. feeling close to someone, you know, and then wanting to expand on that closeness. But expanding on that closeness also expands on conscience mm-hmm. and, and what I've done to people. So it's the pain of wanting to become like this, not wanting to become like this, having to face this. So so there there was so much that got put in the book and and I was worried because the first review was uh you know brutal that's what it said it said sadistic and brutal mm-hmm. that was the whole review and I was bummed and I mm-hmm. ca- I called the editor over at ECW the senior editor Michael Holmes over there and I said Michael I'm bummed you know I just the first review mm-hmm. is this and he goes Jack look man he goes look don't worry about it he goes it's just going to take someone intelligent enough and brave enough to see the truth mm-hmm. to see what it is mm-hmm. you know so so and that's and then later on he was right because then after that all the reviews started coming in saying hey you know this is this is not what you think it is it's unpleasant and it's rough and it's hard but it's also not what you think it is yeah so so i have to say that i i would find it hard to believe that there's not already people uh talking to you or thinking about talking to you about a movie deal yeah yeah, <laughs> talking about it, but but what do we do? You know, what do we do? It's like what you know. It's it's like I've been told. Look, don't jump at the first thing that comes. Yeah. Don't jump at it, even if it yeah. sounds good, even if it's somebody you like. Yeah, you know. And then I start thinking about what kind of directors I like and mm-hmm. what I want to do, how you'd want to do it. You know, so I don't know. We'll we'll see what yeah. happens. But I, that's so that's all swirling about. Yeah, now, it's all swirling without about. saying yes right. or no. And then they say, who's gonna play you? <laughs> who's gonna play you? And and you know, and what it comes down. I mean, what I really want, if I can get a chance to where I really want that I don't want anyone in the book to be a known actor mm-hmm. like no one so then it's real yeah so you're so, not going to see Brad Pitt or right yeah, right yeah, yeah. you're not yeah, yeah Adam Lambert is Jack Grisham <laughs> <laughs> or whatever the hell you know what I'm saying yeah, so it's uh, like so really to get completely anonymous so so you're really walking into a world where you know no one yeah I mean the that's why so many of these really well done independent movies work so well right because it's like they're not movie stars you're seeing and you're just you're just following the story and watching a good actor and not a movie star right it's real to yeah. you it's like because you don't know that that's not real yeah yeah so uh tsol you guys you know was real tumultuous breakup and all of that <laughs> <Yeah>, always but, <laughs> but you guys are are doing stuff again yeah, we, right? we actually playing a night at the slide bar in fullerton so, okay yeah. the slide bar in fullerton what time i don't know okay. nobody ever knows okay. you know somebody asked me today they said uh uh, somebody said, "What time are you f- supposed to be over there?" Sound check, and I go, "I go, wait a minute, man." I go, "Why don't you think to think about who you're talking to <laughs> and the question you just asked?" And and the person I was talking to goes, "Yeah, that's right. I'll call somebody who knows." And they just hung up. So, uh, all right. So, slide bar in Fullerton tonight. Uh, maybe show up about nine o'clock, something yeah, like that. Something, yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. And is it uh, anybody else playing? Or is it just just TSOL? Uh, Savat's playing. Oh, okay. And, uh, yeah, I've seen them. Yeah, but it's yeah, and that band like TSOL. I, we're like brothers. We've been playing together for so long, 30 years, you mm-hmm. know, on and off. We've right. been playing together. We fight like brothers. We, you know, it's mm-hmm. a craziness. We don't even practice. It's like we're so, we know each other so well that we just say, hey, you want to play a show? And we get together. Sometimes we don't see each other for a year. And we just walk out on stage. Like, I, I remember one time our first show was in Idaho somewhere. And Ron, our guitar player, had flown in. And I drove in. So we didn't see each other. We didn't come together. 
And the first time I saw Ron was when we walked on stage to play the show. I, I got late to the show. Ron walks on stage. I walk on stage. They go, Ron, how you been? I go, what do you want to play? What do you want to start with? And, and it was the first time we'd seen each other in a year. Yeah. And most of those songs just come right oh, back yeah. to you. It's yeah. just you remember you them so much. Played you know, them so, like, yeah. so often. And Wow. And so... We're almost out of time here, Jack. Like anything you want to make sure that we know about. I mean, do you, do you have a website you want to give that out or something? Anything? Yeah, I mean, whatever. I mean, it, there's like my website's just jackgrisham.com. Okay. I mean, that's my website. And I always, you know, people are always shocked. I, I make myself very easy to get a hold of. Okay. You know, my phone number is there. You know, people can call me. I'm listed in the phone book at Huntington Beach. It's like I'm <laughs> listed in the phone book. You know, yeah. because you never know who might need or want to talk to you. Mm-hmm. You know, so so I try to make myself as available as possible for people. And yeah, I deal with a lot of crank calls, a lot of hangups, a lot of crazy. But every once in a while, somebody will call and say, "Hey, look, I read this. I was listening to this song. This affected me. I just want to call you." And and we end up talking. And uh, I mean, a lot of my friends I basically met because of that. They wrote me a letter. They yeah, you know, because. And the thing about that is, is there's also a deeper connection sometimes when you're connecting on a music level or a written word, whatever it is. It's you have something in common, something that's both driven you to the same spot. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, jackgrisham.com, and I just make my. I'm real easy to get. And hold people of. can email you through that. Yeah, they yeah. email me. My phone numbers. <laughs> you can call up. I don't always answer the phone, but you're welcome to call. Yeah. Right, right, and and sometimes you just kind of get. A, I'm sure get a feeling of like, okay, this person is someone I really need to talk to. and you know, it just you, you having a lot intuition like that it happens a lot. Yeah. I get a lot of letters. A lot of people writing to me. A lot of emails. A lot of you know, they get on Facebook or MySpace, wherever they're getting any social networking. Site, Twitter me or whatever the heck and a lot of them you know we just talk like oh. they'll say hey I'm struggling with this and you know the cool thing about playing in the band and T.S. Weller doing that is it's really put me in a great position to um, to give back mm-hmm. like to help mm-hmm. you know which and basically pay back for the first 26 years of my life which is what that book's about and yeah. it's and, and that's the real goal it's not my goal isn't to make money my goal isn't to be in this big rock band mm-hmm. you know my goal is to pay back mm-hmm. it's to stick a hand out Mm-hmm. You know, because that's the end. That's that's what it's really about anyway. I mean, mm-hmm. money's great and nice and everything's great, but it's like, in the end, it's really about connection mm-hmm. and, and caring for others and learning to care for others. And, you know, luckily this puts me in a, a higher profile position to do that. Yeah. And you, you feel... Uh pretty settled in, in, in your life now. I mean, obviously you have struggles. You said that. Well, I just got an apartment. I've been homeless for two years. I just, I mean, they're painting it right now. I mean, d- during the writing of this book, I was living in an office when yeah, I was writing the yeah. book. And I basically just, I mean, I haven't even moved into it yet because the mm. last two years, I was still homeless, living in an office yeah. uh, with a microwave and a small refrigerator and taking showers down on the state beach. Wow. I got a state beach pass and, uh, you know, and no one would even know. Yeah. You know, I mean, homeless is a state of mind. It's not, yeah. you know, it's not. But it's. I, I think, in a certain sense, it's there. There's a, there's a good experience aspect to that. It's just like you know, I know I can get by doing it like this, and I right. can. And there's a kind of uh, teaches you hum- humility in a good way. Yeah. yeah, and just take. And but why not me? Yeah. See, that's the thing about some people. They think that by being humiliated, that it's humility in some way. That they think that if they, when they feel humiliated by having to work a job, that they think is beneath them. Right. Well, then it's still pride, yeah. because they go, "Look at me! I'm working a job that's beneath me. How yeah. is any job beneath you? Yeah. I, I mean, it's just a job. 
I mean, so, yeah, and it's always you could be in a much worse situation. That's right. <laughs> or, you know, to really, you know, to really strip yourself down, what is a, a bad situation anyway? Yeah. I mean, everything's, you know, I mean, real quick, if you look at even Christian mythology, with the, the whole Adam and Eve thing, they ate of the tree of knowledge, you know, and the trouble was is they thought they knew after eating of that tree, they knew what was good or bad. They knew what was right. And if you look at us so quick, we're saying, oh, this is a terrible situation you're in. You're in a terrible situation. We judge that. But later on, we realize that that terrible situation turned out to be the best thing that ever happened for us. Yeah. You know, through struggle comes invention, comes creativity, you know. So anyway, yeah. Yeah, well, we're, we're pretty much out of time okay, here. Thanks. I want to say once more, the, the book is An American Demon, memoir by Jack Grisham. Jack Grisham, uh, who many of us know over the years is the lead singer of TSOL and Cathedral of Tears and Joy Killer, Tender Fury, <laughs> and, and TSOL yeah. playing tonight at the Slide Bar in Fullerton, and Jack is out there uh, doing speaking, and you can go to his website, jackgrisham.com. Right. Jack Grisham, thanks so much for spending Thank the time with us Thank you for having today. me. I really enjoyed it. Thank okay, you. Okay, it was my pleasure. All right, so we are out of time here. I want to say stay tuned because we've got Matt Kaplan coming up in just about two or three minutes here with uh, Counterspin and Planetary Radio. It's KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. We're also on the web at KUCI.org. I'm Robert Larson. This is the Out the Rabbit Hole radio program, and I'll be talking to you next week.